and welcome to Hey, I Like, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make our little neurodivergent brains go bonkers. I am your host, Jess. I use she, they pronouns, and I firmly believe that there is not a single person with a postgraduate degree who is not neurodivergent too. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, <laughs> Kathy, but you can't write 16,000 words about South African Gothic and not care about it to a concerning degree. I'm here today with my good friend. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Jube, and I really enjoy hiking. You do really enjoy hiking. I've heard I, all about it. <laughs> I enjoy hiking so much that I walked the entire east coast of America minus Florida. We don't count Florida. Florida is its own thing. <laughs> Florida is just there. It's just, yeah. it's just silly. There no, one, is, no one goes to Florida. There is technically a trail in Florida, but I think the highest elevation gain is like 49 feet or something. And you're walking through mosquito-infested swampland the whole time. So it's like very much not worth it. Well, I definitely should not go on that trail then. Because I am allergic to mosquitoes. Oh, you would not like New Jersey. But uh, I did I did the entire Appalachian Trail back in 2021, the 100th anniversary. I tried to do it in 2020, but they told me, hey, there's this new virus around. Don't know if you've heard about it. You need to get off. So I said, I. Yeah. And so I uh, walked it in 2021. It took me a day under six months to walk the entire thing. And uh, at the beginning, you know, you start with eight to ten mile days, and then you get more and more and more and more. And so by the end of it, I was doing 20, 25 mile days. Um, and I know the Appalachian Trail, uh, it just had its centennial anniversary. So it's a really, very old trail. Um, oh, I, nice. think it's, I think it's one of the, it's one of the longest foot trails in the world, but I think it is the longest footpath only trail in the entire world wow well some of the happy birthday to the appalachian trail <laughs> happy 100 you look great <laughs> <laughs> not in all parts but she's looking she's looking pretty good <laughs> the appalachian trail is maintained by various trail associations um each state will have their own association sometimes split into two so, um, I know Virginia has, I think, three or four, but... Well, Virginia it's... is quite big, so... <laughs> yeah. Virginia Blues. There's about 400 miles in, in Virginia. Uh, Virginia took me very, a very long time because it was so boring. Not in what the... I was expecting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so in the beginning, there were, uh, like, mountains, and it was cold, and you were getting used to it. And in Georgia, it's a very straight shot. So you know that there is no, like, winding around. There's no, like, walking very carefully down. It's just straight. It doesn't care what yeah. it's going through. It doesn't care what it's going over. It's... You're going either straight down or straight up. There's really no in-between. With Virginia and Pennsylvania, it's not like that. There's a lot of those switchbacks you see. There's a lot of, oh, instead of going up on this mountain, we'll go close to it or around it. Like in the Virginia Highlands. The highest mountain in Virginia is there. But it's like half a mile off trail. You have to walk an extra half mile to see this mountain. And it's not a very good view. It's just a bunch of trees on a rock. Which I guess is all mountains, but... <laughs> but it's there. Why wouldn't you just go to the top of it and go back down? You have to... I don't... I don't... I can't claim that I am, you know, absolutely the best at, you know, making trails, or I can't claim to know what they're doing when they make trails. All I know, all I know is that sometimes when you're walking, you're like, this is the dumbest way they could have planned this in the world. 
feel like we can all relate to that. And, you know, if you don't know why they do the things they do, they just do them and you just have to deal with it, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Just got to deal with it. Uh, you follow, uh, a majority of the time on the Appalachian Trail, you follow the Blue Ridge Mountains, or the Appalachian Mountains. Um, eventually I want to go to Scotland and I want to see the Appalachian Mountains there, so just I complete them all. But that is for I mean, later. If you do go to Scotland, they will not be called the Appalachian Mountains. They have probably their own name. Um, they I don't do know what it is. <laughs> They're part of the same range, I know that, but, like, most people don't know that. <laughs> yeah, most most people aren't like, oh, yes, the Americans in Scotland are connected through mountains. Because a bajillion years ago, Pangaea was like, you know what, actually? <laughs> but uh, the Appalachian mm. Trail goes through 14 of our states. Uh, one of its terminal points is in Georgia. One of its terminal points is in Maine. Uh, from Georgia, it goes Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and then it goes Maryland. I know it hits Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. It's a little bit in Connecticut. It's a little bit in Massachusetts. A lot in Vermont. And then you cross over New Hampshire to get to Maine. I think that's all of them. Did I say all of them? I sure hope so. Well, I wouldn't oh. know any difference, so... <laughs> you spend a whopping four miles in West Virginia. I forgot West Virginia. Country uh, roads take me home? <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. So for the entire four miles in West Virginia, it's basically a pop-in to see Har Harper's Ferry, which is an old historical town, that uh, was a big deal uh, in the Civil War and had, you know, the Browns Rebellion. So an incredible, really nice historic town. It's a good stop. It's the psychological halfway point of the trail. Uh, I got to see my parents when I went there. So it was a nice, relaxing, you know, three days for me. Uh, there's a lot of wineries there. Wine is actually fantastic there. But... It's only four miles of West Virginia. So you step into West Virginia and you're like, I'm in West Virginia. So the song pops into the back of your head and it won't leave yeah. until you are out of West Virginia. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So it's a classic. See, so you say that. And. So Harper's Ferry is kind of built on a really extreme hill. Most of the Appalachian Trail is on pretty steep hills. So what happens is you walk down a mountain, you cross a bridge, you cross like a river, and then you have to immediately climb up to start to go like sort of straight and then down into this town area. And so when I did it, I went up and I sort of got halfway and then I went to the side to get to the Appalachian Trail Conservatory headquarters where they'll take your picture they'll put you on a wall, they'll put you in scrapbooks and memorabilia and they'll basically be like, this is proof that you're doing this so of course I wanted my picture but I didn't actually complete the whole Harper's Ferry until we were on a ghost tour and the ghost tour, they mentioned something about the Appalachian Trail and about how people die on it, blah, 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 blah. And of course, on you immediately that, decided, have to do that. <laughs> no, we, we actually, it was like, she was like, oh, and to get to like this other part, we have to walk on it. Ooh, scary. So we, on this ghost tour, actually me and a bunch of other people completed the section that I didn't do. <laughs> So I group, I collectively hiked that one. Yeah. Because some parts of the Appalachian Trail is like, the width is about six inches. I don't even know how many centimeters that is. I think it's like 15 centimeters, maybe. Probably not even that. I don't have a ruler. I also don't have a ruler. I just know it's 30 centimeters on the ruler, so it's 12 inches. Yeah. So I, I might be completely wrong on that. So it's not, 
not a very wide trail. It's one foot in front of the other. But there are some parts of the trail that are handicapped accessible. And you're just like, neato. A majority of the trail is not handicapped accessible, though. Oh, dear. So, yeah. That sucks. We weep for it. We do. It's, it's one of those things that's like, I love hiking. I love talking about hiking. I like getting into the intricate details of hiking. But you do. <laughs> That's I know that hi- <laughs> I know that hiking isn't for everybody. I know that not everybody can do hiking due to physical limitations. I know not everybody can do hiking due to uh, mental limitations. I know sometimes it's just not feasible due to diet. I know it's not feasible due to um, all sorts of things. Um, but if you can even do small sections. That are easy, like little day hikes in and out. I highly encourage people to do it. It is truly great. Um, I like the fresh outdoors. I like the way it makes me feel. I like being isolated and alone, and I like hearing the nature. I like, you know, listening to podcasts with headphones in because I don't like people who have those massive Bluetooth speakers attached to the back of the backpack blaring music. I'm like, what do you do? They need to stop. They do. It's like, I came out here to listen to the birds, not Tupac or whatever you're listening to. Ew. Oh my god, there was one guy who just constantly spammed various rappers of the early 90s was his playlist. I was like, please. Oh no. <laughs> please, some of them aren't even that good. Like, you know, you're you're just like, oh yeah, I can get into some Eminem, I can get in I can get into Snoop Dogg, but like, oh my gosh. Like salt and pepper? Good. Some of those other people, I'm like, I don't even know who this is. I cannot understand a word. It's like they're really I underground. I wouldn't man. know who most of them are probably. But it's I don't know. The the music thing is debated heavily, heavily debated. Because some people do the argument that if, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear your Bluetooth speaker, then, like, is it really a sin? Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> it is still playing music. Yeah, and also, like, you might not be able to see the person, but they can hear you. Mm-hmm. And... Wish we couldn't, but... <laughs> And it's one of those things that people don't really think about when they're hiking is how far things travel, like sound, uh, like yeah. smell. <laughs> there was one time where when cell service was very bad, uh, I had a group of three people I was hiking with. And one of like, I didn't know where they were in relation to me. So I gave out a very sharp bird call it's very unusual i gave it i did it about three or four times before i heard a whistle back to me so i knew where they were in relation to me because i heard them um it's not it's not necessarily like yelling because yelling can sometimes you know not go as far as you think especially uh because people sometimes don't yell as loud as they can do other noises Oops, sometimes that's not true, but so you would find ways to kind of communicate out there. Um, a big one is trail messages where people would, if somebody passes you and you need to send a message ahead, be like, hey, if you meet a person with, you know, pink shoes and a pink backpack, can you tell them that Fun Facts is behind them or you know, if you needed to send a message behind, if, if you passed somebody, you would say, oh, hey, like, if somebody passes you and they have, you know, a orange pack on, tell them that Fun Facts is ahead of you. Yeah, so you'd kind of send messages that way. Sometimes it's not as reliable as, um, you know, actual, like, texting or anything. But yeah. it was reliable enough. And that's sort of the whole motto of the trail, or my motto at least, I just needed to be reliable enough. My gear needed to be reliable. My shoes needed to be reliable. I needed to be reliable enough. 
my knees needed to be reliable. That's the kicker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My knees needed to be able to actually, like, keep up with me. So, uh, one of the things that helps out with, I know a lot of people are like, oh, but, like, when I go downhill, my knees really, really hurt. My knees really, really hurt after hiking. Um, get trekking poles. That's what they're for. Uh, some people are just like, oh, you know, trekking poles don't do anything. They do do something. It's when you go downhill, they help take the actual pressure off your knees. Do I know the exact 100% science behind it? No. But do I know that they work? Absolutely. And do I tell people that they need to use them? Yes. Because if you don't use trekking poles, you are in for a world of hurt. Yeah. Like, just tear apart your knees. Hmm. Knees are fragile. People are fragile. People are very fragile. It's um, one of those things that people don't really get, I guess, first, is how fragile you actually are until you're out in the wilderness and you're just like, man, you know what I really need right now? A Band-Aid. I was yeah. hiking behind a hiker named Freight Train. And me and him were chatting. He was an older man, probably in his 50s, 60s. And while we were hiking, we were hiking downhill, talking, talking, talking. And he slips on, I don't know if it's a root, I don't know if it's a tree, but he goes ass over tea kettle. He goes once, twice, and then he goes down the side of the um, ravine that we were walking alongside. He doesn't go, he goes about 10 feet down. And, you know, I'm screaming. He's dazed. I have to take off my pack. I have to climb down. I have to take his pack off. I need to take his trekking poles out. I think I only got one because he was laying on one very awkwardly. And, like, if that had gone wrong, I could not have, I could not have saved that man. I couldn't yeah. have. Um, there's some times where you just need to know that, like, you just need to understand that, yes, I love it, I love it, I love it, but it's dangerous. Um, another example of, you know, you have to kind of react fast. You have to kind of, you know, think on your feet is that I was aqua blazing West Virginia was aqua blazing Virginia to get to Harper's Ferry and a canoe flipped and the canoe had a dog in it and Mm -hmm. yeah, the dog was stuck under the canoe. And so. I threw my paddle at the person in my boat, Augie, and I said, hold on to that. I jumped into the river. I grabbed the dog. I like reached underneath the canoe, grabbed the dog, pulled it out because I knew it wouldn't be able to do it by itself. And as I was holding the dog, I was screaming directions at the people around me. And it was just, I just remember very vividly that I was like, I cannot let go of this dog. <laughs> I can't let yeah. go of this dog. I can't. I can't let go of the canoe. I can't let go of anything. I lost my croc doing that. <laughs> I did. Of course, I that's my... the important bit. I lost my whole croc doing that. And then, um, I don't, it's uh, the little stories that add up, I think, is what makes the whole trail the trail. Because yeah. there's, there's no one big sweeping movement that is hiking it's a lot of little stuff that adds up over time yeah and that's even with day hikes and stuff it's a lot of little things that add up to the whole enjoyment to add up to the whole i really like doing this because if you take the whole thing 98 percent of it is wow i'm mildly okay at walking Oh, yeah. But it's the stuff that's not walking. It's the, um, the actual, like, the food that you're eating with people. It's, you know, the sights that you see. It's, you know, the experiences. It's the people that you meet. It's when you are in a hostel with ten other people and, you know, somebody brings, like, several liters of Diet Coke and you see how fast you can eat them all. It's, 
a lot of little fun stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. And you've got hundreds of those stories. Yeah. Because you did the whole thing. The big one. I did do. It's not the big it's not the biggest one in the United States that I can do, but that would be the PCT or the CDT. I think it de- So the Colorado divide is in the middle. And that one depends on which trail you take. The PCT is the Pacific Crest Trail. It's California, Oregon, and Washington. That yeah. one is much stricter on its trail, so it has one dedicated trail. But it's, um, it's a little bit more technical logistically. It's instead of encountering a town every you know, three, four days, you encounter a town every six, seven, eight days. Uh, once you get up to elevation, you stay in elevation until you need to get back down into a town. It's farther away. It's a lot more logistics planning Yeah. than the Appalachian Trail. The Appalachian Trail, you can just get on and walk. The PCT, you need to, like, apply for a permit. <laughs> and here I am struggling to organize a three-day holiday. <laughs> it could I not mean, be it could- me. It gets better, I guess, as you kind of, like, go on. But it's still, like, if I didn't know what I was getting into going into the Pacific Crest, it'd be harder. But I kind of know what I'm getting into going into the Pacific Crest Trail. Because that is going to be done. I want to do it by 2030, I think. And, yeah, thank you. But (laughs) with that, it's, I am planning, especially now, I'm planning a lot more mail drops instead of having just going into, like, Walmart and buying things. I'm planning a lot more dedicated mail drops. And I'm planning on varying my diet much more with the mail drops I did receive last time. Because that's one of the vital mistakes that people make is that they have mail drops, but they like when they're making all the food beforehand, they'll make several iterations of the same meal. They're like, I'm just going to dehydrate everything and then I'm going to put it in a bag and I'm going to ship, you know, these four bags to me at once. And but you get sick and tired of the same meal afterwards. You get sick and tired of having just one thing over and over and over and over and over again. You kind of want like some that, variance. Like that guy in the Martian who ate nothing but potato. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly like that. It's you just eat potatoes. And, you know, um, there was one guy I was hiking with for a while, ketchup. And he had refried beans. He had like dried refried beans that he. He actually really enjoyed them. He found them in a hiker box. And he enjoyed them until he ate too much of them. And then he's like, I can never have these things again. This sucks. Which, you know, understandable, but... Mm-hmm. That's... So there are these things called hiker boxes. And hiker boxes are... Every time there's, like, a hostel or every time there's, like, a, you know, location where hikers gather, they usually have a hiker box. And so it's just kind of an open box where people can put items that they don't have a use for anymore. So the ones earlier on in the trail are usually filled with more weird stuff, but the ones later on are usually filled with food. It's just like, I don't like this kind of food anymore. Um, I've had this food too often. Um, you know, I have too much food. One of the so in the very very beginning, people, the hiker boxes are full of like random gear that you would never, never think about. Like I saw stuff like um, what are they? They're not croutons, even though I want to call them croutons. They're um, the Ice, ice spikes you put onto the 
bottom of your shoes. I saw so many of those. Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of those. I saw a lot of rain gear that was excessive. And I saw lots of hats. I saw lots of, I did see lots of heavy food items. Uh, I saw a lot of things to smoke. Uh, weed is prevalent. I saw a lot of things that for um, communication purposes. Like, I saw a lot of Garmin's. I saw a lot of GPS trackers. I saw a lot of very heavy batteries or bricks. It's, you see a lot more just stuff. Of course, the, the whole idea is that you have the least stuff possible because then your pack is lighter. Absolutely. I you do wanna... remember things you told me. <laughs> yeah, on the episode that we tried to record previously. Yeah, this, this is take two. <laughs> it's... With your pack, your pack is going to be your main source of stress. It's going to be your main source of, you know, what you can carry. It's going to be your best friend. It's going to be your buddy. It's going to be your cuddle partner. It's going to be everything. Yeah. My pack, I got measured for my pack because it's very specifically, it's your hip shelf to a vertebrae and your neck that, you know, denotes where you carry stuff. And mine was 13 and a half inches long. Oh. That is a hair over a foot long. That is a baby. That is very, very, very short. <laughs> I am only five feet tall. I am not the tallest hiker that has ever done this trail. My, when I got measured, the man measuring me said that I could either go for a child-sized pack. So like one that was only, I think it was like 12 and a half liters. I could go for a full child-sized pack, had little rocket ships on it. I was so excited. Or I would have to order specifically from one of two brands that made, si that made their, their extra small packs that small. And I walked into the REI expecting that I would have like a medium pack because, you know, that's the kind of shirt I wear. I wear medium shirts. So I was like, okay, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to have like a medium. Nope. He's like, you're an extra small. I'm like, <laughs> I have not. I've not worn an extra small since like fourth grade. <laughs> Can you redo that measurement? I don't think I've worn an extra small anything ever. Yeah, it's like, I don't think I've, I don't think I've worn extra. I, I'm not an extra small person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, um, redo that actually. <laughs> extra small pack for an extra small human. I I don't know if you've ever seen the picture, but it's me next to a flood gauge and I am less than the five foot sign on the flood flood gauge. And it just when you see it, you're just like, oh, oh my god. That's smaller than what should be allowed. <laughs> and it's actually not as big of a deal on trail as it normally is in my everyday real life. Because for my everyday real life, I need a little step stool for things. But on yeah. trail, I could always, if, you know, the step was too high for me, I could always, like, do a little half step off the trail to pull me up onto the next level. I could do that everywhere except at the very, very end at Katahdin because I was no bow. I was northbound. I could do that everywhere except Katahdin where there was rebar sticking out of the mountain 4,000 feet up. And the rebar, it was in such a place where I had to jump, grab onto the rebar. And so I was just dangling 4,000 feet in the air. And I had to do, it was my first and only successful pull-up of my whole life. But I pulled myself <laughs> up on the rebar and, like, slammed down. I was just like, I've done it. I've done it. What a time to achieve it, though. I, I know. I, so I'm never going to do a pull-up again, just in my whole life. It's not happening. But um, being short isn't bad. Like, 
tall people had more problems than me because, you know, they have to like duck under spaces and stuff when I didn't have yeah. to do that. And, you know, their knees usually hurt more than mine because they had to carry more of themselves around and over things. Meanwhile, I didn't have to do that. I just kept walking. I was uh, I'm more compact, I guess, is the way to say that. Yeah. And it's like physical, like your shape and the way you look and the way you talk doesn't matter out there. It's just how many miles you've hiked. Um, you didn't care where they were from. You didn't care what they looked like. You didn't care what they smelled like because you smelled worse. It was a very humanizing experience because, you know, sometimes when you'd have a bad day, you'd walk and you would see, you know, a little old man with his pickup truck on the side of the road with a cooler full of McDonald's sausage biscuits and a Sprite. And he would hand you one. He'd say, you know, I hiked the trail back in 78. Here's, you know, the breakfast of champions. Keep going, champ. And you're just like, I can do it. I can do it, Grandpa. I can do it. I love that so much. That would be me, though. (laughs) Would not hike it myself. Would wait for all the hikers to come down and give them food. Yeah, so that's called trail magic. You encounter that a decent amount, actually. So um, I'm I'm going to do trail magic this year. Um, I'm just going to go to McDonald's and I'm going to buy a bunch of $1 sausage biscuits. And I'm just going to sit at a gap and I'm going to give them out to people. But it's like very, it's people out of the kindness of their own hearts going out of their way to help you. And you see it, I saw it all the way up to Maine. Because, you know, people would, you know, pick you up to bring you into town. People would, you know, cook for you. People would offer to clean your gear. People would, you know, offer to let you spend the night. People would, you know, have these buffet meals that you could just consume. And it was just very humanizing. These people from all walks of life. I saw, you know, uh, one of the, a couple distinctly pop out to me was there was a Amish mid-20-year-old who, like, he had a carriage and a horse, and he pulled fresh food from his carriage, and he was talking to hikers. He's like, I really want to do it. Um, I just, I'm just trying to, like, figure out limitations and stuff. And, you know, hikers talked back to him. They were like... Well, you know, if, you know, this is how we are doing it, here's our gear, here's what you know we look like, here's what we smell like, here's what we were doing previously, here's what we're going to do today, here's how we plan it. And this, this guy just wanted to know about it. This guy wanted to see if he could do it. So he was like, okay. And so he just fed us and we talked to him for hours and hours about it. And um, there was a, another, in another state, I walked and there was this, bunch of old ladies sitting around wild tents um just a bunch of folding tables a bunch of chairs and these little old ladies they would they like waved me and they were so excited they were a church group and they were near the Appalachian Trail and sometime in like the 80s one of them had said hey there's a bunch of hikers on this trail do you think like for one of our good deeds of Jesus day or something that we can um, feed them. And so, you know, at first they brought like 10 pancakes or whatever. And since then they have been increasing, increasing. And this is one of the things that they look forward to. Um, Every Sunday for like, you know, a month where a bunch of hikers come through, these little old ladies will come on out from the church and they'll set up this huge food thing and they'll just feed the ever living crap out of you. And like, as long as you can still eat, these people will still... (laughs) Will still feed you. I love people sometimes. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the things that I like the best about the trails, just the people I met on it. Um, yeah. It really brought my faith back into humanity. It brought my faith back into the American people. It made me see that people are people and that people will do things for other people because it makes them feel good. It's it's just a really good happiness cycle. I don't know. 
Yeah. It makes me feel good. <laughs> and you made loads of friends when you were hiking, didn't you? I did. I hiked with, I hiked 700 miles with Jet and Pebbles. Um, those are my two hiking companions. Jet uh, made it all the way. Pebbles, unfortunately, had to drop out at about 800, 900 mark. And though they were both older than me, one of them was about mid-40s, one of them was about mid-50s. They were so fun to hang out with. I absolutely loved them. And, you know, they thought I was goofy and cool, so... I hiked a little faster than them, which is why I dropped them at about 700. Drop them sounds bad. That's <laughs> why I sped up at about 700. Because um, they kept a very consistent pace, and I just got faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And um, I hiked with a while with a guy named Ketchup. He was on and off with me. He aquablazed with me in Virginia. We met back up in, like, New Hampshire. Um... Uh, Ketchup was with uh, Phoenix. Phoenix was amazing. She was very, very smart. She was uh, going to go into law school. Uh, she was just like a great person to be around. She was so helpful. Uh, I met people like Hamilton. I met a group of people. Hamilton, you know, Chill. I met um, Highlander. All like day one. And we hiked. And they, of course, they were faster than me in the beginning, so they, you know, got ahead of me. And um, I saw them periodically throughout the trail, but eventually, at the very, very end, we were like five miles from Katahdin. I meet back up with Hamilton and Highlander and Chill and everybody, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And we just, we just had like a wow moment, because we were all together there, um, there was a guy named Spice that I met in South Carolina that, you know, finished with me. Um, I met Augie and I hiked with Augie for 400 miles. Um, so you might be noticing that I'm saying a lot of these random names and not real human names. I have noticed. Um, wh when you're hiking, you get something called a trail name. And trail names are... It's your government-assigned name and then a trail name. So my trail name was Fun Facts because I had a lot of fun facts. Um, and, you know, Ketchup's name was Ketchup because he liked ketchup. He had red hair. Or he had a red beard. He had no hair. <laughs> and then, um, like, Hamilton, his name is Hamilton because she was singing the Hamilton soundtrack as she walked into camp. You get, you get a name out there that is you it helps identify you it's something it's not another john your highlander or your doc or your augie or jet or pebbles or bam bam you're somebody and it makes you more unique out there um some people they choose a trail name because they want to emulate that trail name um chill was the name he got the name Chill because, you know, he was a generally nice, chill, easygoing dude. And, you know, he got that name. And about halfway up the trail, he's like, I really like my name. Uh, it helps me. It reminds me that I need to be more calm. It reminds me I don't need to let my anger get to me anymore. It helped him. And, you know, my name, people gave it to me because I love fun facts. I like telling people about fun facts, and every time I said my name, people would obviously be like, well, I want a fun fact, and so I would say some random fun fact about it. It's like, do you know that 63 Earths can fit in the planet Uranus? And they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Love it. I love hiking. I love the people. <laughs> I love trail days. I love the environment in which hikers kind of make a spot that everyone is accepted. Yeah. Uh, it's a good group of people. Outdoors people are good people. Because, you know, who cares? You're outdoors with them. That means, like, you're a part of outdoors people. Yeah. Hmm. Honestly, they just want a buddy to go hiking with them. They just want a buddy. Yeah.
because it's not good for you to go hiking for that long alone. No, you'll you'll see the Hat Man eventually. <laughs> like I was alone a lot of the trail. I was just one hundred percent completely alone. And while I really did enjoy it, there was at one point where I was hiking with a group, and um, I got Lyme disease. And, you know, the group was like, you know, see ya, because they weren't like my group or whatever. And I was just sitting in a hotel room alone with Lyme disease. And I remember calling my mom and I remember telling her that I had Lyme disease and that this was just the most terrible thing I've ever, I've ever felt in my whole life. And my mom says, like, I'm on the plane, right? Like, I am booking the ticket right now. Where are you? And I just remember telling her, do not book a flight to me. Do not book a ticket to me. Just do not. Because if you show up on my doorstep right now, I will sob my eyes out and I will demand to go home with you. You wanted to finish. I wanted to finish so bad. Because at that, when I was in Connecticut, I only had like 700 miles left. I was so close. Yeah. And, you know, 700 miles being so close, you know, people must be like, you're deranged, but yeah, it was that's so, like, I had already, right, I had already hiked 1300, so 700 was nothing. I'm just Googling what the length of the UK is in miles, because, yeah, from the northern tip of Scotland to the southern coast of England, it's about 600 miles. <laughs> <laughs> So you're talking about the the last little bit of your hiking trail and it is longer than my entire country. I know. Um, so the Appalachian Trail is 2,200 or 2,000 like either 198 or like 199 it, 100 like 93 it depends. Because people do different things and stuff. Um, But it's about 2,000 is pretty much, you know, the easiest thing to say. And 2,000 miles is 3,218 kilometers. That's a long way. Yep. It's yeah. 2,194.3. Yep. It changes slightly each year because of like trail maintenance and stuff. But the year I did it was 2,194.3. Yep. You're <laughs> insane. <laughs> How many times did I walk farther than the UK, huh? Many, many, many times. That's... Oh my god. And it's... So, I get why people are just like, wow, that's a really far away, but it sort of wasn't at the same time. Cause you, you were doing to... it in little bits, so... Yeah, I only took it a day at a time. Yeah, then I guess I it doesn't feel like it's quite as far. Yeah, it took me... A day under six months to hike the entire trail. A day under six months. It took Which is me still six, a long time. Took me six hours to fly home. And this is why walking is no longer the primary mode of long distance travel. Yeah. Do you know how mad I was when I arrived back in Atlanta after six hours? I was furious. <laughs> Oh, dear. I was just like, this is so much BS. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, because, so, um, I started, like, my hometown is near um, where the northern terminus is. And so I started near my hometown, and I walked away from home. And then I just yeah. popped right back to home. So my net gain was zero. Oh god. <laughs> I was I was like Oh, this is this is 
this is so mad. This is infuriating. <laughs> I think I'd be annoyed too. And I don't know. It wasn't even like a deep, real, simmering rage. It was just like mild irritation. I was just like. <laughs> I can totally feel that kind of annoyance. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. But um, I know one of the things that you have to focus on a lot out there is food. And yeah. uh, so when you're hiking, you burn anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 calories a day. This is significantly more than most people can eat. And by significantly more, I mean, you're not going to be able to eat 8,000 calories a day. That's just not feasible. Uh, absolutely not. I think you would have to eat nonstop all day to cover that much. I think it's like 16 hamburgers or something. No. <laughs> no, thank you. But, um, so what people do is they find creative and new and interesting ways to keep themselves both hydrated and uh, to keep themselves fed. Uh, yeah. I had, I started off with a nine liter food bag. So like my waterproof bag was nine liters. It was also camouflage because my sister works for a camo company. So I got it for free. Nice. One of the thing, yeah. One of the things you have to do is uh, bare hang your food bag. So you can imagine that I very quickly changed from a camouflaged food bag in the trees where I could not see it to um, I changed it to bright blue and it went from nine liters to 20 liters because I quickly realized that I could not fit all of the food I was needing into a nine liters of food. I my 20 liter food bag lasted me from Franklin, North Carolina to the hundred mile wilderness where the actual clip broke. Yikes. So, yeah, it lasted me a very long time. Um, with a bear-hung food bag, you need to hoist your food bag. So you need to have a rope, you need to have a carabiner, and you need to have a like your actual bag. So what you do is you take a rock from the ground, tie it to the end of your rope, throw it over a branch that's at least 20 feet tall and and you know four feet away from the actual trunk of the tree you throw it above it so it loops down and then you tie your food back to the end of it you pull it up at least 12 or 18 feet or whatever it is and then you tie it to you like tie it um together with like a you take a stick and you basically twirl it in the rope so it stops at your food bag carabiner and you hang it there so no animals can disturb your food at night and then when you wake up in the morning you pull it down you undo the stick and then you string it all the way back down to yourself um this food bag method is uh generally accepted it's i think it's the pc bear hang the pct bear hang and not the original one because the original one you could just string to a tree but now bears are smart enough that they'll uh, eat the rope at the tree so your bag will come down in the middle of the night. So you have to do it a different, more complicated way. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the, um, the videos of um, how companies get their, like, bear-tested stamps? <laughs> yeah, they throw it. How in they, a... send, they send them to go get tested by bears. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, there are specialty bear-proof containers. These things are bear-proof. They're not bear-resistant. <laughs> um, I think they're, they're called bear vaults is the one that I know about. Bear vaults are pretty extreme, actually. Um, I think there's a, like, a 7-liter and an 11-liter bear vault. Um, they're basically these little cylinders, and these little cylinders, the smaller one can hold four days of food, the larger one can hold seven days of food, and they're, like, 
not scent proof. However, you still need to put them about 100 feet away from your campsite. But bears can't get into them. A fun fact about these crazy bear-proof containers is neither can humans. Humans, I have seen people struggle with these things. Um, because of the way that the lid is designed that you have to do, you have to like press down and like twist and pull at the same time. It's crazy. And there's like these automatic locks on it. So what people do is they get their driver's license and they like shove it in between the lid of the bear vault and the screw and they like unlock it through that way so they can pop it off easier. It's uh, it's the most complicated way to hike. But so the AT does not require these bear vaults. Um, there's certain parts of the AT that need it but they're only like two-mile stretches or seven-mile stretches, so they're easily avoidable. Uh, there's one in the very beginning that is easily avoidable. So they're not needed on the AT. They are required on the PCT, however. Like, they, you have to have them on the PCT. Yeah. Just because there's more grizzlies out there and you need to carry stuff like this. It's a different trail, so it needs different equipment. Yep, there is quite literally a bear on the California flag. Yeah. Yes, so. there is. And so the, whatchamacallit, it? with uh, the food container, since the bear, since the bear vault is not smell proof, you need smell-proof bags to be put inside of it. Um, yeah. And they sell you these bags. They're just ridiculously expensive Ziploc bags. And so if your bear hanging, it doesn't matter. Bears can't get it. Or they're not supposed to be able to get it. But if, you're, if it's like a container, sometimes you'll still lose your food because the bear's simply can't get into it. And they'll just take it with them somewhere that you don't know about. Um, there was also a recorded bear recently, I think two years ago, on the PCT that was in a section. And people were losing their food because the bear was smart enough to take these containers, roll them off the edge of a cliff, and the cliff on the bottom would break it open like an egg. <laughs> and so then the bear would wobble down, down the cliff, grab the food, and eat it there. Oh, Could you, you imagine? Think they'd they'd think of that, that when they're designing the things. And it's just one of those like quirks. Some, the smartest bear is smarter than the dumbest tourist. Yes, that is true. And then um, with like stuff like cooking supplies, your cooking supplies. Also, some people say you need to put it in here, or you need to wash it really well. Uh, some people say you don't need to do that, but it's kind of one of those things where you really do need to do that, actually. Yeah. Hmm. It's just one of them things. One of them things. What else? I can talk about um, actual what I used to cook, which would be a... It's called an MSR pocket rocket. It you said that you had experience with the um, much larger version for large camp groups on your Duke of Edinburgh award. Yes, when I did Duke of Edinburgh, we had very dodgy camp stoves with like gas canisters and everything, and they were not great. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to someone a few weeks ago because they do a lot of camping and they're saying they've just got a new a new camp stove um, and it has like a windshield so mm -hmm. it's not going to get blown out by the wind um, and that the way it is now like made is so that the little like pot that you put all your food in is not balancing on top of the gas canister and little stove thing like, it's not a foot in the air anymore. But yeah, it's just like, oh, wow, the camp stoves are so much better now. 
and so much smaller. So um, you've probably had something close to, uh, it's called an MSR whisper light. And the MSR whisper light is mostly used for stuff like Boy Scouts, for larger camping scales. Um, they can hold more like heavy-duty pots and stuff. I had something much smaller. I think mine was only a couple ounces in weight. <laughs> I carried a very, very small canister of gas. And it's propane, of course. Yep. And, and you know, I don't have a windshield on mine, so, and I knew that. So what I did is I screwed in my, uh, my pocket rocket to my canister, and I would take one of my bandanas, and I would make a makeshift windshield. Because I had two one-liter water bottles. So I would tuck them around my water bottles, and I would put it where the wind was facing, so it stayed up with the force of the wind. <laughs> and I would cook incredibly close to this bandana that I also used to, like, clean my pots and stuff, so it's saturated with fat. If one wrong thing happened, I would have gone up in flames. But I didn't. Because <laughs> I'm very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wow. I'm just thinking about how, like, even when you're just in science classes, right? They're always, like, nothing near the Bunsen burner. Yeah, nothing near the Bunsen burner. Can't meanwhile, back. meanwhile all, all the hikers I know are just like, nah, I can get close to that. Um, there was also one hiker I knew. It was incredibly cold. We were in the Smoky Mountains, and this hiker was like, I'm sick. I'm tired. This is BS. This is garbage. And so he's like, I'm making a fire. We're like, it's been raining nonstop for four days. He goes, I don't care. So he screws in his stove, he lights it, he cranks his stove all the way up to 11, so he is this jet of flame, and he holds it to the driest wood he can find, and he waits until it catches. And so he's basically walking around with a quasi-blowtorch, and he's just like, I'm sick and tired, I'm making a fire! And so all of us, all of us idiots, we're around this fire ring, watching this guy crouched over the fire. And we're just like, huh, do you think this will work? And sure enough, it did. And I'm like, we are so lucky that that yeah. did not go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because it very easily could have. Yeah. And uh, I remember distinctly, you know how around the internet now, everybody's just like, oh, don't use river rocks in a fire pit. They'll explode. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you can't use river rocks in a fire pit because they'll explode. <laughs> um, okay. Good yeah. to know. Didn't know that fact until I was hiking. And um, this one guy was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm going to cook spam. So he takes a rock and he puts it on the fire. He waits till it gets nice and hot. He puts a thing of butter on it and he swirls it around. And then he puts his and he, and he fries up his spam. And while all of us are eating around the fire, he's happily enjoying his warm fried spam. The rock explodes. <laughs> and so, you know how it is when you're cold and you've been hiking a while, and so you're pretty close to that stupid fire. Oh, no. <laughs> and by pretty close, I mean the fire ring. You're probably about, you know, a toe away from it. <laughs> so just imagine 11 people, exhausted, curled around a fire, and suddenly, like a gunshot, this rock explodes. Not a little bit. Like a gunshot. Oh my gosh. It, we we're lucky, it just cracked, I think, into three, four pieces. We are so yeah. lucky that thing didn't take out our shins. Yeah. Because that could have, like, that's basically shrapnel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so dangerous. <laughs> but we were like, whoa! Oh, of course you thought it was cool. Yeah. The guy like, got a trail name out of it. On it. <laughs> he got a trail name out of it. Oh, yeah. Do I want to know? Oh, it was just fried spam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, 
to you. There was also a guy who, so normally while you're hiking, you're very, very organized because you don't have a lot of stuff. And that stuff needs to be organized because it needs to sit on your back a very specific way. But there's yeah. this one guy, his name was Trashbag. And the reason why his name was Trashbag is because he kept his garbage and his food in the same plastic bag. Oh, dear. We were like, that's kind of disgusting. He's like, I'm just going to eat it all anyway. I'm like, that's so gross. No, no don't that. That's asking for you to get food for reasoning. I mean, he was... He was rolling. He didn't care. Um, but yeah, the pack needs to be packed a very specific way on your back. Um, yeah. It needs to have all the lightest stuff on the bottom. It needs to, like, all the sleeping bags, all the compressible, um, like, if you have a pillow or something, that goes on the bottom. And then against your back is actually the heaviest stuff. Yeah. So the stuff like the food, the stuff like any um, contraption you might be carrying. And then around that heavy column, right against the edge of your back, is all the medium stuff. So for me, it was like my hammock and my sleep system and all that good rot. I did have a hammock sleep system because I'm that person. Oh, yeah. If you're in a hammock, you're not having to deal with all the rocks and the sticks on the floor. So, But I am having to deal with the trees and the Widowmakers. It's Yeah. More comfortable to sleep in a hammock, though. Hammock is truly the superb way of camping. Um, like, hammock camping is numero uno. Like, hammock camping is... You just need to be... You just need to hammock camp. Hammock camping is truly the best way to camp. Well, if uh, I ever get the opportunity. Highly, highly recommend. And, um... Hammock camping is... It can weigh a little bit more than the ultralight tents, but it will weigh less than the non-ultralight tents. Um, and it's more comfortable than either one, so the choice is kind of obvious. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to head on out soon. We can wrap up then. That's your job. I highly encourage anybody who is interested in it. I highly encourage anybody who might be thinking about it the easiest way to get into hiking is to go out and start hiking um yeah. the easiest way to um really start to enjoy it is to just go out and do it even little day trips even like little one after the other uh, mile hikes uh if you have the time i would say go for it yeah and if you have kids, please take them outside. <laughs> take them outside. Don't they let will. them sit on an iPad all day playing timetable rock stars. Please, they'll appreciate it. <laughs> I know I did. I love going outside, even as a child. Yeah. Oh, it's, just, it's just great. And I get that it's hard for people who live in the city and stuff, but like, it's right there, guys. Take a bus. Walk to the park at the end of the street. Like, you don't say, need to go far. Just leave your house. Find somewhere with a tree. <laughs> Look at the tree. Profit. <laughs> I know um, in America, there are a lot of um, organizations and stuff that help kids from inside the city who might not have had the opportunity to go camping. Um, reach out to stuff like your local REI. Reach out to stuff like community centers. Uh, reach out to stuff like Boy Scouts, reach out to stuff like Cub or uh, Girl Scouts, uh, what is it, All Scouts now. Um, stuff like that. They'll work with you, like they'll try to help you out. People, outdoor people just want other outdoor people. Yes. Thank you for having me on today, Jess. No problem. It's been great having you. We'll have you back one day. One day. Say yeah. bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats, you are officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you are enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe to get notified when we update, or follow us on Tumblr at HeyILike, all lowercase. That's all for now. See you next time on Hey, I Like.